Tonight we're going to be looking in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, the message I call Alone with God. Mark chapter 1 verse 34. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. Our text tonight is set in the ancient city of Capernaum. Uh, this was very early on in the ministry of Jesus where he entered into that city on the Sabbath and he went to the synagogue and began to teach and speak there. He would even cast out a demon spirit who was in a man who was in a synagogue as well. I've often preached on this subject, and I like to say there was a time when Jesus went to church and the devil went to church and the devil preached. Uh, and the Bible even records exactly uh, what he did. Now, Jesus preached too, but look, verse 23, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying, let us alone. And the word cried means he screamed, he howled, screeched. Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. What a passage. Uh, I read this in Mark's account, and it just prompts so many questions in my mind. I wonder if the, if the demon immediately started howling. It doesn't seem to be that case. I mean, Jesus, he was saying in verse 21, Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. And so the narrative in the text would seem to indicate that Jesus came in and began to teach. And he taught long enough for people to understand that he taught with authority. Now the word there for authority could also be translated power. Jesus taught with power. He spoke with words that could not only be heard but could be felt. And as he was speaking apparently, then this man in the back started, or maybe in the front, <laughs> who knows. Uh, he might have been sitting in one of the cheap seats. You know what I'm saying? And he began to howl, let us alone. Let us alone. I heard a preacher say many years ago, I've never forgot it. He said, there's a do not disturb sign hung out over many an American congregation these days. I understand that thinking as well. Leave us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? He was implying that uh, this wasn't the time. This wasn't uh, the right uh, position for him to be troubled. I know who you are. Did you come to destroy us? All of these things could have in them the measure of truth. But you know tonight, as I know, that even when the devil tells the truth, he, he twists it and distorts it and makes it be something that's not true. And that was what he was doing about Jesus Christ. No, Jesus wasn't there to destroy. Uh, Jesus said, I, I came uh, to save, to seek, and to save that which was lost. 
Well, that's uh, quite the service they had that day on the Sabbath day in Capernaum long ago when Jesus went to church and the devil showed up. You can't help but wonder, did anybody even know he had a demon? If they did know, why did they let him in the synagogue? That wasn't something they would have done. So it seems to me to indicate that uh, this man had been coming there for a long, long time. And if he spoke lying words on this day, he had probably spoken lying words before. You know that the devil is the father of lies and it wouldn't be much of a stretch then for him to have this lying demonic spirit that he was using right there in the synagogue to influence people. But Jesus put a stop to that. When he rebuked him and uh, the, the demon was rebuked, the Bible says he tore him and uh, uh, he left him. And everyone was astonished, amazed that Jesus could speak. Remember, this is very early on in Jesus' ministry. They were astonished. They were amazed. Not only that he could speak with such power, but that he could speak with power that even the demon spirits would obey him. You read through the New Testament, you're going to find that Jesus encountered demons very regularly. I can't explain all that to you. Every time I start studying uh, demonology, I get scared and quit. And I shouldn't really, I know that, but it's a scary, scary subject. We have to wonder how much of it is still around today. And if they were uh, such a great uh, movement of demonic forces when Jesus came the first time, we, we have to expect that the same thing is going to happen before he comes again. And in fact, the revelation tells us about those things, but wonder how much is going to be in the prelude. Can't answer all that for you tonight. I can tell you, though, that Jesus was surrounded throughout his entire ministry. As he was there, it seems like the land of Israel was just infested with demons. He dealt with them even in the synagogue. As if that wasn't enough... <laughs> Uh, then more things happened as he went out of the synagogue. Verse 29, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew along with James and John. So he went to Simon's house. Uh, but Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever. And they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her. And she served him. We don't know. The text really doesn't indicate for us whether they were just warning Jesus because, hey, somebody's sick here in the house and you might not want to come in. Or whether they were telling him because there was some expectation that maybe he could do something. Remember, I've told you, have I told you, this is very early in the ministry of Jesus. And a lot of the things that we know now were just getting started at this time. They immediately, though, told her, uh, told Jesus about Simon's mother-in-law, and he took her up. He took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and, and she went right on to work. Now, Capernaum was not a huge, huge metropolis. It was much smaller than Cavitas, a whole lot, lot uh, more like my hometown, Taylor, Arkansas. About 1,500 people lived there during the time of Jesus. 
It was a fishing town. It was a trading town. Uh, but it was certainly not a large enough town for events like this uh, to go unnoticed. I promise you what happened in the synagogue that day was the talk of that town. Jesus cast out a demon while he's gone home with Simon Peter and, and he healed her, his mother-in-law. Verse 32, remember this was the Sabbath. And at even then when the sun did set. Now, if you've ever been to Israel on the Sabbath, even today, then you would recognize something that's going on here. You see, the Jewish Sabbath began on Friday, our day Friday. Friday at sundown was when the Sabbath began. And so everything, Friday at sundown, everything would shut down. The businesses closed down, everything shut down, and they would be shut down all day Saturday. But at sundown on Saturday night, well, the place would come alive. That, that might be uh, very much uh, how our Saturday night tradition, some of them got started. Some of the, maybe not so good ones, but uh, uh, Saturday, man, at sundown, uh, the place would just erupt. Businesses suddenly would open. Everybody would come out. Restaurants would be full. So at even, the Bible says, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door of Simon Peter's house. And he healed many that were sick of Diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. There was nothing those demon spirits were going to say about Jesus that they wouldn't twist or distort just like that one did in the synagogue. And so Jesus wouldn't let him. But they knew who he was. I know the who thou art. I know the who thou art, he said, and he did. He knew. He knew he was the Messiah. He wasn't going to have the devil announce that. <laughs> that's our job, amen. I mean, that's, uh, that's the task of the preachers that he's called uh, to proclaim his. That was John the Baptist's job and others. It wasn't the devil's job. Who knows how many? Scores, perhaps. Hundreds. Who knows? All of those who were infected by disease and infested with demons, there was no hope, you see, for them to have any deliverance from either one. Their situation was not difficult. It was impossible. But it's not impossible with Jesus there. And so they stacked up around his house. You can imagine what a crowd that was that gathered as news of what had happened was spread. Every healing would just increase the numbers of people who came. Heal one, there'd be five more to take their place. Any medical professional in this building tonight knows what I'm saying is true. Heal one, five more, ten more, dozen more. Heal one blind man, every blind man in the country comes. Heal one person that was born with some kind of illness and everybody's bringing their sick children. You know how this played out. What a crowd. And it would go, no doubt, long into the night on that Sabbath day. We don't know how early the synagogue met but Jesus preached and taught and he uh, dealt with demons and he cast out a demon at sundown then he was out there healing people and once I heard a preacher respond to that depiction of ministries yeah he said you know preachers only work one day a week and he responded yeah but what a day and I, I understand what he was saying by that maybe you don't uh, those of you who've been in ministry do 
but this was an incredible day of ministry. Now it's stretching far into the night. Who knows how late. And that brings us to our text. Verse 35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day. And if the Sabbath was on Saturday, and it was, then what day was it when Jesus got up so early? Sunday. Sunday. Now, the law of the Sabbath was not going to be replaced for a long time. I know that was not going to happen until Jesus Christ died. And even then, it was not uh, just a line that was drawn in the sand. We might think that, that up until then, they met on Saturday, and then, and then they started meeting on Sunday. The, the line was blurred, and you'll see that uh, developing through the book of Acts and on into the epistles until finally they're talking about the first day of the week. And uh, we are following that principle and practice even tonight. But at this time, it was an unusual thing, I guess. We don't know how many times that Jesus got up early on Sunday morning, but we know he did it once. He did it after a long day of teaching and a long day of dealing with the devil. How, who knows how many devils he cast out that day. How many sick people he healed that day. How long he stretched into the night. But we do know this, Sunday morning, he got up early. And he spent some time in prayer. He wouldn't go back into Capernaum, by the way. Uh, other cities and other towns needed preaching. The disciples came looking for him. They couldn't find him. There was a crowd gathered outside the house. And where's Jesus? Everybody's waiting for Jesus. They, they finally came to him and, and said, uh, Master, everybody's looking all over for you. I couldn't help but think as I was uh, thinking about this. It was kind of uh, every now and then, not all the time, but as my kids began to get a little bit older, there were times when I'd kind of hide from my kids. You ever did that? I mean, just, just get away from them for just a minute or two. And uh, you know, they'd always come looking for you and, and seek you out. Where are you at? We've been looking for you. I thought of that when I thought of this passage. Uh, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. They're all waiting for you. They've all gathered up. There's a huge crowd, Jesus. They're, they're looking everywhere for you. But there was something that Jesus had to do before he could minister to more people. He had to spend time in fellowship with God, with the Father. He had to spend time in prayer. He didn't go back to that crowd, though it was gathered. He said, other cities, other places, other villages we need to go and preach to. He got alone, but he wasn't alone. He was with God. This was far from the only time that Jesus did such a thing. Luke chapter 5, verse 15. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities or sicknesses. So he himself often, often, often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and he continued all night in prayer to God. Mark chapter 6 and verse 31. He said unto them, that is his disciples, he said, come you yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. 
For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. Come apart and rest a little while. Think about that passage within its context, brothers and sisters, tonight. Remember that these disciples were dealing with people who, who needed spiritual help. They needed uh, to know more about Jesus. They, they were seeking miracles, a lot of them. Yes, they were seeking an audience with Jesus. And they were so busy dealing with people and ministering to people that they didn't have any time. They couldn't even stop for lunch. And Jesus said, you guys need a break. Come out and rest. You know, sometimes the most spiritual thing and the most pressing thing that any of us need to do is rest. If Jesus said that, and Jesus said that, then that's an important part of our life. Verse 45. Now, don't get me wrong. I didn't say that the most spiritual thing we can do is go on vacation. Listen, I need a vacation after I've been on vacation. How about you? I mean, we get so busy trying to pack everything into every minute that we're wore out by the time we get home. Take five kids on vacation and see how you feel when you get back. I'm, even four. Amen? Yeah. He made his disciples get into the boat, Mark 6, 45, and go before him on the other side to Bethsaida. And while he sent the multitude away, and when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Jesus did that a lot. Spiritual ministry on any level is draining. It is for me, it is for you. It is physically demanding and it is emotionally draining. And the more intensely we have to deal with demonic opposition, the greater the difficulty becomes. Every step that Jesus took, every word he said was guided by the Father. And because of that, it was opposed by the enemy. And so while there is time for us to rest and restore, there's also the time for this crucial ministry of prayer and fellowship with God if the sinless son of God needed to get alone with God and commune with him how much more do you and I need to do the same thing I could also ask you tonight if Jesus began his Sunday morning getting up early getting up early uh, did, I, did I mention getting up early long before daylight uh. Getting up early and communing with God. Should we perhaps follow that lead? I want us to bring in some other passages tonight to consider the benefits that are brought to us by getting alone with the Lord. And I want to make in each one of these a special emphasis on a Sunday morning time of getting alone with the Lord uh, first of all, this kind of thing helps us to work through our distractions. Look at 1 Peter 5 and 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You see, if all we did was get alone, uh, then the fact is times of isolation provide a lot of times for our imagination to work. Uh, Jesus didn't have to battle that. His imagination never got the best of him. Jesus knew exactly what he was dealing with, exactly what he was facing. He was always aware of what was going on around him. But for us, our cares are constantly upon us. 
Everything that somebody has said, everything that someone has done, all that's on our mind can bombard us in our quiet and alone times. If we're not careful, we'll really wrap them up in some big packages. But when we bring the Lord into our alone time, so that we're not just alone, but we're actually seeking God and spending time with the Lord, then we can do what this passage says, cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. It's an interesting choice of words. You can't hold on to something and throw it at the same time. If you're going to throw it, you've got to turn it loose. If you're going to cast it to God, you have to release it. It's just physically impossible to do both. And so we are called upon then to cast, to release our cares to him. This requires the humility on our part to admit our humanity, to admit that, God, we need help with this, that I can't handle this on my own. It takes strong spiritual discipline for the task of getting our mind on God and our need for him is far greater than our ability uh, to concentrate. And if you don't believe that, then just try, try praying for 30 minutes. And see how many times you get distracted. See how hard it is. See how difficult it is to maintain your focus. Even in our Bible study, it can be difficult for us to maintain our focus. So we don't sit there long seeking God before we realize and have to admit humbly the weakness of our humanity so that we can seek God and his help. This is needed on every day of our life. But it is no more needed on any morning than on Sunday morning. A whole week of distractions are whirling around in your head on Sunday morning. When you get up on Sunday morning, the burden of Monday is already on your mind. Right where you're sitting here right now. You're thinking about all you have to do tomorrow. Somebody's probably texted you today with some big crisis that you know that you're going to have to face. All of that tends to come on Sunday morning. And why do the kids go crazy on Sunday morning? Why? I guess I'm the only one that ever had that problem. I don't know, but I know one thing. <laughs> it's been, we have passed it down to another generation of Hamlins, I can tell you. Because we got another generation that goes crazy on Sunday morning. Every argument that we've had in the week, every argument we have with our spouse, every word that somebody said, it's all whirling around there in our heads. And why that it's all there on Sunday? I don't think it's a coincidence. Every one of these things can come at us on Sunday and hinder our ability to come together in worship, especially Especially if we're going to have to sit beside the person that we're aggravated at. I'm not going to go any further with that, especially. <laughs> or maybe we just, just looking at them across the church house sometimes can be a distraction. And so this morning, or this evening, I think it, it's a good thing for us to think about on Sunday morning. What could we do? To make our services better. What could we do so that our services would be more spiritual and more powerful? What could we do so that I would get more out of church on Sunday? Try this one. Get up early and spend some time with the Lord and clear the mechanism. 
All those distractions that come to mind, just give them to the Lord. Lord, I don't have time to think about this today. Lord, don't let me distract, be distracted by this. Lord, forgive me for this. Get this out of my mind. Get this, just spending some time. We've got a whole week's worth of stuff to go through by Sunday morning. Amen, don't we? A whole week's worth of stuff to clear out of our heads and out of our heart so we're not distracted on Sunday. Second thing, we can work through what I'll call the draining. And in and, and verse 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul said, At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear it. I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. You see, any time of ministry on any level, any time of spiritual service calls for prayerful preparation. So though nobody else was with him, the Lord stood with me. I want you to know tonight the Lord, the same God is still operating. The same Lord that stood with Paul can stand with you and will if you'll give him that chance. And he'll give you strength. Ephesians 3.16, that he, uh, that is Jesus, would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. What a prayer for a Sunday morning service or a Sunday night. What a prayer for a Sunday. God, I want to be filled with all of your fullness. I, I want to comprehend the length and breadth and depth and height and to know the love of Christ. But in order for that to happen, you've got to be strengthened with might. I've shared with you before, one of my favorite Adrian Rogers quotes was that we don't come to church on Sunday to worship. On Sunday, we bring our worship to church. On Sunday, we bring our worship to church. You see, we, we worship as God's people all throughout the week. We work worship every day. And a lot of what our worship is on Sunday is dependent. And Brother Bill would tell you, I'm sure the same thing. A lot of what our worship is on Sunday is dependent on what we've been doing all the rest of the week. And what we do before we get here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man. I love this. Is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction which is but for a moment is working for us. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So when we spend time with the Lord and we commune with Him, then He is strengthening our inner man. So that even though the outward man may get weaker, even though the outward man might be tired, even though the outward man might be feeling uh, the advancing years and the declining strength that comes with it, the inward man, the inward man can be growing stronger and stronger and stronger. There's a place for this every day of your life. But it is especially needed on Sunday. Getting up early. Spend some time with the Lord. 
seeking that spiritual refreshing and renewing that comes as he brings his strength into your life and into mine. So when we commune with the Lord, especially on Sunday, but any day, it helps us to deal with our distractions because we can cast all our cares upon him. When we commune with the Lord, when we spend time with him, it works us through the, the draining things, all the things that, that sap our, our, our vitality and our strength away from us. And our strength then comes from the Lord. Lastly then, we work through divine direction. In Psalm 5 and 7, the psalmist says, But as for me, I will come into your house. I will come into your house. In the multitude of your mercy and fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before my face. As David was thinking about coming into the house of God, he thought first of his need for mercy. Can we say amen to that tonight? Aren't we thankful that we serve a merciful God? And as we come to his house, we know that we come to him in the multitude of his mercy. We worship him in fear. And that speaks of our reverence and our awe of Almighty God as we worship toward his holy temple. But at that moment in time, he also prays for God's leadership and direction. And the reason for that is because he knows he's going to have an encounter with the enemy. If you haven't served the Lord long enough yet to find this out, then I'm going to tell you tonight so you'll know ahead of time. But most of you already know, you're going to have to fight for every minute you spend with God. You're going to have to fight your way into it. Uh, thank God we don't have to fight on our own strength because the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, that is of the flesh, but they're mighty to God for the pulling down of strongholds. But every minute that you and I spend with God is opposed. God loves it. The enemy hates it. And David was anticipating his encounter with the enemy as he thought about the worship of God. He said, oh God, I need mercy. As he thought about going into God's house, he said, oh Lord, lead me. Lead me, because I know the enemy, I know the enemy waits. I wish I could tell you tonight that we could come to God's house and we would not have any kind of, this would be one place where we'd be immune uh, from the work of the enemy, but that wasn't what David found. <laughs> and in our text tonight, it certainly was not what Jesus found either. We come to God's house in mercy. We come to God's house in fear. And we come to God's house under his leadership so that we would conduct ourselves while we were here to behave ourselves in the house of God, he said, which is the church of the living God. Now, Paul told the young preacher Timothy that he needed to teach people how to behave in the house of God. But I don't mind telling you tonight, my mama who's in glory thought it was her job to teach me how to behave in the house of God. And I'll tell you what that was. Uh, her favorite saying was, I'm going to pinch a plug out of you. She never did pinch a plug out of me, but I thought she did a time or two. Uh, my mama's definition of behave in the house of God was to sit still and be quiet. You don't move. You don't wiggle. 
and you sure don't talk or laugh. We've, well, we've, we've come a long ways from that. And uh, not necessarily to our good, but uh, uh, we have understood, I think, as we come along that uh, we don't have to always be quiet and we don't have to always sit still. There's a place for standing up. There's a place for moving. There's a place for shouting out our excitement and enthusiasm for the glory of God. We can. We can do that. We can do that. But there is a place then for us to recognize the seriousness of what we're doing here in our encounter with the living God. It was in Daniel chapter 10 when the angel came to him. And Daniel said, I've been looking at this chapter a lot lately. Daniel said, my strength failed me. I couldn't speak. He fell out, had no strength. He thought he was going to die. He was an old man. Uh, understand this was an incredibly intense experience to have this angelic encounter. But uh, as the angel spoke to him, Daniel received strength. And in fact, he said to the angel, my, my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. One of the things that I pray for all the time about our Sunday services is that God would, first of all, strengthen me for the task that is ahead. But then that he would strengthen you for the task that you have ahead of you. You may not remember everything I say. You might not even remember all the texts that I bring to you. But you've been under the word of God today. You've been under the word of God tonight. And just being under the word of God brings strength to your life just like it did to Daniel. In a way that we can't understand, there is power in the preaching of the word of God. And to bring ourselves under that power then gives us strength. And I pray that for you all the time. God, just strengthen your people as they come together in your house. I want to leave our time together tonight by asking ourselves a question, ourselves a question, uh, uh, getting us to consider something tonight. What do you think God could do? What do you think God would do with 15 minutes more of your life a day? 15 minutes. I'm not asking you to get up at 3 o'clock unless uh, you go to bed early. That's uh, probably not going to happen. But 15 minutes. Think about it. I can do 15 minutes. Forget about that snooze button on your alarm. Set it. Devote it to God. Give Him 15 minutes. I'm not going to promise you tonight that if you do that, that uh, your days are going to be better. They might be worse. Uh, because remember, the enemy is not going to like what you're doing. And he'll do everything he can to convince you that it's not helping you at all. Fifteen minutes. A prayer. Fifteen minutes. If you set that time and you go through that dip with discipline... Uh, who knows, you might can even drive the speed limit on the way to work tomorrow. What an interesting concept. Maybe not, but maybe. Fifteen minutes. Fifteen minutes. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to make a New Year's resolution. 
It's too late for that. We're already halfway through January. Just going to ask you to ponder, think about, what could God do? What would he do? With 15 more minutes, what would he do? If I got up just a little bit earlier on Sunday morning, like Jesus did, and went out and spent time in prayer, communion with God, getting ready for what I believe is the most important day of our week, Sunday. Sunday. Just a few minutes more. Who knows what it would do for you, for your reception, that God's Word, for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life as we gather together. Fifteen minutes. Who knows? Regardless of what it might do on Sunday or all the rest of us, I can tell you this. All of us need more time alone with God. Alone with God. Let's stand together, please.